beginning uh, a new series looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 over the next three weeks. And that's really Jesus, that passage of Scripture is really Jesus' blueprint for how to accomplish His purpose in the world. And really, it's, it's His plan, His blueprint for how to change the whole world. This is what He is up to. Is These verses lay out the emphasis of um, our assignment, if you're a Christ follower. It's, it's His focus on what He's trying to accomplish in the world. Now, I've had many plans in my lifetime. Um, I've had some plans that worked out beautifully, just as I had hoped, and just as I had worked up. And I've had some plans that have failed miserably, and I'm sure you have as well. You know, we, we make plans. And I remember making some plans even as a young child. I, I designed a treehouse for the neighborhood kids with a rope swing. It was supposed to clear the creek. Didn't, didn't do a good job measuring the, the rope. And so next-door neighbor Isaac gives it the first test run and doesn't quite make it through. <laughs> kind of does a, a football tackle into the sidewall of the creek and... Uh, the creek won, the wall won, and um, so that didn't go well. I mean, I've had other plans. I, I planned to design skateboard ramps, and it um, wasn't like a lifelong ambition, but as a, as a kid learning to skateboard, I wanted to design different ramps, so I did that. Some worked well, some didn't work well, and um, if, you're, if you've ever skateboarded, you probably know what I mean. Um, also opened up a candy store for neighborhood kids. And um, this one was really part of a kind of a, a grand scheme in my mind of, of just business, a, a huge business adventure. And so what I did is I took my allowance to the liquor store around the corner, and I, I was probably one of the only ones who was able to go to the liquor store um, without their parents. And so I'd cross this little highway, which doesn't sound safe, but I'd ride across my bike. I'd just get as much candy as I could with my allowance. I'd bring it all back, and then I'd set up shop in my neighborhood. And I'd add a little bit of price markup. I had a cousin who kind of turned me on to the idea of price markup. And so I marked it up, started selling candy, soda, and, and it was a hit. I'd go back and I'd get more and I'd realize, wow, I could keep, this just funds itself, you know. Sadly, the neighborhood moms weren't quite as, you know, supportive of my adventure. And so my mom got a call. It got shut down. So I'm sure you've had all sorts of plans in your life as well. Um, I promised my mom, I called my mom this week, and I said, hey, mom, what was a plan that I, that I made that I uh, failed to, to do? And she just, I did, failed to follow through. And she said, well, you did plan to design and then build me my dream home. And she says, and I'm still waiting, and I'm still holding you to this, Josh. Because I was interested in architecture, and so junior high, high school, I was studying to be an architect. And then, like, senior year, I just took a different course of my life, and and so she's like, even though you're not doing architecture, I still know you can do that for me. And so she's still holding out for that. But whatever the plan is, no one who is mature wants to pour time and money into something that you just don't have the resources or the ability to complete the plan. Um, we don't want to do that. We don't like setting out to do something and then having to give up. No one wants to do that with their life. You know, if, you, if you're planning... To do something with your life, um, you know, you don't want to waste uh, the focus. You don't want to waste your hours, your energy, your money. Um, we make all of our plans from a blueprint. It's a blueprint that we have in our heart and in our mind that, that tells us how to really live the good life. All of us have our own version of the plan. And we have different pictures of what makes up the good life. For some people, it's lots of money, great house, cars, 
just nicer things, stuff that money can buy. For some people, it's a great family life. Maybe that's your plan. It just involves friends and relationships. Uh, or maybe it's a fulfilling career, something you just aspire to do and you really want to make a difference with your life. Um, I know many people that their plan really revolves around a degree, certain kind of education, certain school, a prestigious um, degree from a, a specific place. But anyway, we all have a picture in our minds of, of the good life, and then we have a plan for how are we going to get from here to there. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to break down two verses in Scripture that are known by some as the Great Commission. These are Jesus' last words to his followers. Now, what he's doing in these last words is he's giving them the focus of their lives and the mission of the church that they would be a part of forming. And so, this Great Commission... Imagine you're having a final conversation with someone and you want it to be, obviously, um, you want the words to stick. Uh, I was talking to my boys about this on the way to church this morning, telling them what I was sharing on this morning. And, and I just said, hey, if I were to, you know, be at the end of my life and you knew we had one last conversation, do you think I would say to you, Gabe, and I'm enacting it for him, I said, Gabe, just don't forget. Never forget to tuck in your shirt. And, or Gavin, I told Gavin, I had a different one for Gavin. I think it was like, take out the trash. And, you know, we have these final moments, and we want that moment to really stick and really count. This is Jesus' final moments, you know, final conversations, in a sense, with his followers. He wants to make sure it's going to stick, so he doesn't say, don't forget to clean the fish after you catch them. Or, you know. He, he, gives his, he gives the followers, his followers, their assignment. This is what I want you to make your life about. And so, this is at the top of your listening guide, if you'd like to follow along. Jesus' plan for his followers is this. This is his assignment to us. The Great Commission involves making disciples. And this is really what this whole series is about. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version Bible. And it says this. You can follow along. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. And make disciples. If you want to circle the word make disciples on your listening guide, that is, that is the central command. So circle that and write central command and write verb. This is the verb in the verse is make disciples. This is where the emphasis is. This is where, in the Greek, when you look at this in the original language, this is the focus of the action of what needs to happen. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the scope. It's it's a huge scope. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says at the end, and behold. this This is really good news. This is the encouragement and our strength is... He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, He stated this basic commission, this great commission, five different times at least in, in, that we know of. There's five different accounts of Him giving this final charge. And it's stated in different ways by different authors um, from some of the different conversations. But this Matthew 28, um, 19 and 20 has been kind of coined the great commission because you know, what we have here is, in this one, is really a summary of all of the statements he was saying, wrapped up into one. Um, you can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. Each of them have a, 
kind of a great commission kind of punch to it as well. There's a single verse or a set of verses that really give this really similar thrust of the idea. What he's doing again, he's just giving them, all of his followers, the framework for their lives and the mission of the church. He was laying it out for them because he did not want them to miss the purpose and the mission of their lives. He wanted to be crystal clear. Sometimes someone gives us instructions or commands, but we're not sure what to focus on. You've been, you've been at work before and your boss is telling you, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do. So, okay, can you do it? Go do it. And you're like, you said a lot there. Where do you want me to start? What do you, what do you really want me to do? And Jesus was trying to make it crystal clear so that we would attach ourselves to the right part of the plan and not get sidetracked on something else that is secondary to the main plan. This is the main plan. He says, make disciples. Our job is to know the plan and then carry out the plan. If you're a follower of Jesus already, then in this series what you're going to do is find out more about how to pull that off. How do you pull off making disciples over the course of your life? How do you build your life around that? Second, if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're here and you're worshiping with us or you're just even just observing and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're learning more about this because you're somewhere in the process of committing your life to Christ or even learning about what that would look like, then as we're looking at this, you're going to learn about what it would mean if you were to follow Jesus. You're going to understand what He's calling you to, the assignment that He'd be giving you. Also, as a church, for us as a whole church, these verses also give us the blueprint for guiding all of our efforts here. We do a lot of stuff, you know, but we build from this blueprint of making disciples. We do all sorts of things as a congregation. We have events, we set things up, we tear things down. All the stuff, I say this often, but it's really true. We set up everything. The only thing that's in here when we show up is chairs in this stage. And so everything is set up. Everything's tore down, stored in our trailers that we have that's parked out front. But we gather to celebrate like we're doing this morning. We also gather in small groups to share life, to discuss living out the Bible. We do, we do things together. And what's the outcome? What, why are we doing, what's the reason for all of this activity as a church? The Great Commission, this passage, it's a very clear picture of the blueprint for why all the activity is happening. See, we do all this stuff. We set up, we tear down to make disciples. We have events to make disciples. We, we gather in groups or in large groups, again, to make disciples, to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So look at this verse again. I want to go through it um, and really explain some of the focus, the emphasis here. So it says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The word go, it actually is a participle. And it has the idea of going. It's not just go, but it's, 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 it's present participle. So you're actually doing this. It's an ongoing action that's happening, but it's attached to the verb. Now, we already said the main verb is make disciples. The thrust of the verse, the whole thing is wrapped up in making disciples. But in order to do that, you have to start with going. You have to, you have to leave the comfort of your own life, in a sense. You can't just hunker down in your home and do this in order to make disciples, you have to go. They're not going to come to you. You have to go to people. This is one of the requirements of carrying out the action of making disciples is going. That's one of these participles it's called. Um, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, it says. It gives us the scope. Um, this is the big picture. Revelation gives us a picture of what, what God will accomplish through the church. And we see this Seen in heaven where gathered around the throne, worshiping God will be 
People of all tribes, tongue, nation, all, all people groups will be there. And so the scope is that God is trying to accomplish something larger than what we could accomplish on our own just in this church or even in this town or even in this city or state. God is after bringing people to Himself of all nations. And so we, we understand this is, this is much bigger than just us. He says then, Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe. Now, you notice the word baptizing and the word teaching there. Those are two more participles. So, the word go or going, baptizing and teaching are participles that are connected back to the verb of... What's the verb again? I just want to make sure you're tracking with me. Make disciples. Now, that's again... That's the thing you don't want to forget to do is make disciples. Um, but the, the requirements of doing that, the way you pull that off, some of the marks of making disciples is you go, you baptize, and you teach. Um, we're going to look at each of these parts. What Jesus is doing here, again, is He's focusing His followers. He's saying, this is where I want you to give your time and your energy to this. This is what is on His heart. And now sometimes, like I said, we can confuse the priority of the Great Commission and we can make parts of it greater in our mind. Oh, there's the greatest part of the Great Commission. And we'll pick a verse, or, or we'll pick a, a word, and it's the wrong one to pick. If you're going to pick a word to latch onto it, to attach your life to, it needs to be, and it better be, because His plan is make disciples. That's the focus of this passage. It's not baptizing. That's not the focus. It's not teaching. It's not going. It's... Make disciples. I find that this actually gets confused quite often. That sometimes we'll focus, let's just start with each participle, okay? The first one is go. It's true that Jesus makes it clear that you, you don't wait for people to come to you. You need to go to them. But again, going is not the verb. It's attached to making disciples. And so, also, baptism is a huge thing. It's an important thing. Um, some churches and people have emphasized Baptism and actually elevated it to the point of, of entrance into um, the kingdom. And so some people will teach that baptism is actually when you get saved. Um, but, if you, but really, um, your salvation is not through a work that you do. It's, through, it's by grace, through faith. And so it, there's nothing attached, no work that we can do to attach. Now, baptism, it's a sign, though. It's an important sign and a symbol that, that demonstrates to the world around you that you have become a Christian. It's, it's your verbal proclamation of the fact that you have a changed life. You've received Christ. He is now the boss of your life. It's, it's a very important thing. You don't want to leave it out, but you also don't want to attach yourself to the word baptism and think this needs to be the priority of my life. Same thing about going. Also about teaching. Some, te- some people have made their focus of their life and their ministry teaching. Churches are, are to be instructing people, but if the purpose of the church is just teaching alone and making disciples is not happening within that location, within that church, then, then we're failing to do Jesus' plan. We're building off our own blueprint. We choose a priority that we like, and so we have to be very careful that we understand what is it He's trying to get us to accomplish. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down this verse over the next three weeks. This morning, really, we're looking at this first part of Go Therefore and Make Disciples of All Nations. Next week, we'll look at baptism. And the week after, we'll look at teaching for obedience. And let's define the word disciple. In the New Testament, it was written in Greek. 
And the word disciple simply means pupil or learner. And so, but I want to contrast what a disciple is and what a disciple is not. A disciple is not someone who just has a mental appreciation for Jesus' teaching. You know, I just, oh, I really appreciate the words of Jesus. Sometimes people get on the Jesus bandwagon, and Jesus has some good things to say. But a disciple is not someone who's just mentally like, oh, that's good stuff. But he actually, he or she is, is someone who's devoted to Jesus' teaching. There's a real difference between I appreciate and I'm devoted to Jesus' teaching. A disciple is, is also not a fan. You know, a spectator who's just watching from the sidelines, but instead he or she is really a follower. Jesus says, do this, I do that. Jesus says, go this way, I, I go that way. I follow the direction he leads me. A disciple is also not someone who just sees Jesus as a good teacher. Um, you know, Jesus is a good teacher, or he was a good teacher, but that's not all he is. When, when we were in Toronto on a mission trip this summer, I met a few people who said, yeah, I think Jesus, he had some good things to say. I think he was a good teacher. But a disciple is not just someone who thinks that. A disciple is someone who sees Jesus as the supreme teacher. Like the buck stops, stops with what he says. He's the ultimate authority on life, on what we're to do. And so if you're willing to put your life, I'm not willing to put my life in the hands of good teachers, honestly. I had some good teachers but I wouldn't put my life in their hands. I would only do that if he was the supreme teacher. So that's, that's what a disciple is. He sees Jesus, he or she sees Jesus as the supreme teacher who we can trust with our whole life. Man, that's, that's huge. A disciple is also not just emotional, but a disciple has a lifelong commitment to follow day after day, year after year. Not that it's not a struggle, but they continue to follow. Here's a definition based on the context of this verse, and I think this may be in your listening guide, it's a disciple is someone who has accepted and submitted to Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, whatever that means or demands. Now this is really helpful to get your mind around. What, what, is, what is a disciple? If, this is, if we're to make disciples, first we need to know what, what that means. Who am I to make? Well, this is who am I, I am to be. If I follow Christ, I'm to be someone who's decided to follow Jesus, whatever that means, whatever that demands. As you learn more and more, you just keep following step by step, and you keep saying yes. As He as he takes you to something new, as you get to know what God in His Word has to say, as, as God shines the light on an area of your life, and He says, here, I want you to tweak this, change this, as it's clear to you, you just say yes to Him. You just keep saying yes. And you keep saying, yeah, you're, you're the boss. You're, you're Master. You're Lord Jesus. Now that we're on the same page, really the focus is not just about disciples, but it's about making disciples. One is I have to become a disciple, and then I start making disciples. And you see on this sheet on your, the front of your bulletin, you see there's this process of, of how you see this, this is a continuing process that goes on of making disciples, sharing your faith, a person getting baptized, a person learning to walk with Christ, and then it starts over. You start making more disciples, people who surrender their lives to Jesus and identify with Him and so there's this whole flow, and, and essentially, again, Jesus is just saying, don't miss this. If you, if you spin your wheels doing things in life, do not forget to make disciples. And what we find in Jesus' conversations with many people is, is this, is that becoming a disciple means I switch over to Jesus' plan. When it comes to blueprints, 
If you've become a disciple, you make the switch. It's now about His plan, not about our plan. Look at what Luke 18, verse 18 through 23. It says that this guy, he's named the rich young ruler, but was a ruler asked Jesus. He was this young ruler. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he says it, good teacher. That's the category he sees Jesus in. Not supreme teacher, but good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. He's like, check, 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 check. I did it. I'm in, right? When Jesus heard all this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he said, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, the rich young man, he had a blueprint for how he thought, you know, I'm going to build the good life. I'm going to keep the commandments. That's the key. What he was doing was what we all tend to do with our life. We take our blueprint, whatever we would define the good life as, we take our blueprint and our plan, and we bring it to Jesus, and we, we hope that he's going to approve our plan, just like a building inspector would say, yep, sign off on that. So we bring our plans to Him and we say, God, here's what I'm going to do with my life. And we want Him to sign off on it. But what Jesus does is He tells us, you know, here's your blueprint. Make disciples. And He starts explaining what that's going to look like. And what it, what it often involves is it, 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 it may even cause us to tear up our plan, to cast it aside and say, wow, I didn't realize my plan and your plan were so drastically different. So we may need to throw out our plan and follow His plan. What Jesus did in this conversation with the rich young man is He shows what it takes to be a follower of Christ from the heart. We must be willing to take, or to let everything go, all else go, and make Him the priority in our life. He wants to be first place. He must be first over our money, our stuff. He must be first over all of our earthly relationships, our family even, our career. He wants to be first. And it may not make sense to you to say, Jesus should be first over your family. That sounds very eh, extreme, doesn't it? Jesus should be first over my family. The truth is, if you do, if you'll make Him first over your family, even over your marriage, even over your children, what He does is He will lead you to bless your family in a way that you never could do on your own, apart from a relationship with Him. If you put Him secondary or even down further, fifth, tenth on the priority list, there's no way you can pull off the good life. There's no way you can pull off the life you desire to have with others. We can't pull it off. He needs to be first. This is why Jesus says, hey, throw away your blueprint. And when we let Him show us how to build our lives, what we find out is there's much more stability. There's much more peace and confidence in what we're building. And the truth is, Jesus must be number one. He must be number one for the Christian life to work. A lot of times we start working on the Christian life. We're like, man, it's just not working for me. I'm trying to piecemeal things together. I'm putting this in. I'm doing this. Josh said do this in a sermon, so I'm trying to do this. I know I should be at church, so I'm trying to go to church. I'm doing all this stuff. What we do is we end up being like the rich young man. We start piecing things together, but we don't put Jesus as first place in our life to where we say to Him, hey, whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you demand, I'll yield. Until we do that, the Christian life will not work. I meet with people all the time. Or I see this to be the case. The Christian life isn't working because Jesus is not first place. 
Family knife doesn't work. And, and maybe you're here and that's where you're at. And, and you can wrestle with trying to tweak things. Maybe if I just do a little bit better than this, but until you make Jesus first in your life, man, it's just hard to pull off all these other things. So if we try to add our blueprint and kind of build a room addition on for Jesus, hey, Jesus, I gave you a room addition in my life. You can live in there. We hope we're going to experience the life that he, we, that we, you know, that we want. It's painful. What happens is when we start working our plan, it's painful. We get confused and we get tired because you can only really do, you know, one priority. You, you know, you start trying to say, oh, Jesus is going to be first, but I also really have this other thing. You get confused, you get exhausted. So like he did with the rich young ruler, Jesus, he leads us to do more than just go to church and just follow the rules. He shows us how to live with him, with Jesus' first place in every facet of our life. We have to switch to his plan to experience a good life. So far, we've been really talking about being a disciple, but it's key to remember that, you know, being a disciple means making disciples. The two are connected. Again, the verb, the focus of this command is make disciples with your life. That's God's plan for changing the world. This is what He wants us to center our life around. This is His mission. And at every stage of your life, as a Christ follower, this command applies. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, sometimes the roles we play in life change, but the first focus needs to be, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a disciple maker. And so for me, my role has changed through the years. You know, I'm a father, and I'm a disciple maker. I'm a husband, I'm a disciple maker. I'm a pastor, I'm a disciple maker. Don't think because you're not a pastor that you're not supposed to be a disciple maker. I want you to listen to an audio clip of some missionaries, or of a man who's, who's preaching a sermon, and he's sharing about some missionaries who are getting ready to head overseas to reach people in a foreign land. And he's challenging them on the area of, are you making disciples here and now, before you go and do what you're going to do overseas? So I want you to listen. This is very, very important points that he makes in this audio clip. It's about a three-minute clip. Old, this is an old um, recording from probably uh, close to 50 years ago, and so maybe even further back than that. So let's, let's listen in. This is a man named Dawson Trotman. The other question I always ask them is, George, Mary, you're going out to the foreign field. You hope to be used of the Lord in winning men and women to Christ, right? Yes. And you want them to go on and live the victorious life, don't you? Yes. You don't want them just to make a decision and then go back into the world, do you? No. Let me ask you something, Mary. How many girls do you know today, by name? who are living for Jesus Christ as a result of your ministry of winning and helping them on. George, how many? The majority had to admit that they were ready to cross an ocean, learn a foreign language, but they hadn't won their first. Who was going on with Jesus Christ? Well, a lot of them said, well, I, I got a lot of people to go to church, or I got a lot of people... I even got some people to go forward. I said, are they living for Christ now? And their eyes would drop. I said, how do you expect to cross an ocean and do in a foreign language with people that suspect you? And you don't understand and don't understand you to do something you haven't done yet. 
But I'm not talking to missionaries. I'm not talking to... I'm just talking to God's people. I'm talking to ordinary lay people, every one of which ought to be a producer. I love that message that he delivers. and I mean, you can catch that. that it's from a message called Born to Reproduce. You could probably search online and download it for free. Born to Reproduce, Dawson Trotman. And he's talking about just disciple making. And, and this is the heart of what we're to be about. This is the focus. This is to be the most important aspect of a disciple's life. Telling others and showing others the difference that Jesus has made. That's the lens that we look through to keep our life on track. And making disciples focuses all of our life to move in a certain type of direction. Personally, there's some things that it tweaks. You see that on here. A disciple aims to influence the world around them. Each of us, we live in a pool of relationships that God has dropped us in. We exist within family and friends. God wants us to make an impact of these, on these people. He's dropped you into a family. He's dropped you into a workplace. He's dropped you into a neighborhood amongst people who need Jesus. Many of them are lost and they're running in a direction that's opposite to the Lord. And so He's dropped you strategically because He wants you to influence the world around you. So what this means is, one, we share the difference that Christ has made in our life. You may not know all the answers. You may not know all about the Bible or where to start or how to share. But what you can do is just share what God has done in you. Share the difference. Here's how I was like before I began following Christ and now here's the difference He's made. See, no one can ever discount the change that has happened in your life. You have a unique story that God has given you. And part of making disciples is just telling your story to the people that are in your life. Look at Acts 4.20. Peter and John said, For we cannot speak, or we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This was John and Peter's words from the first century. They were telling people about their experience of walking with Jesus Christ. They couldn't contain themselves. People tried to quiet them down to stop spreading the message. They said, look, we cannot but speak about what Jesus has done. And see, Jesus has made a difference in many of your lives. And so don't, don't stay silent about that. And also, don't wait for people to come to you. Go to them. The passage is very clear. Going, therefore, or go, therefore, and make disciples. We have to go to them. Don't wait for people to come to you. Now, you may go across the street. Or you saw the Roland video. You may go across the neighborhood. You may, you may cross the ocean. You can't stay put, though. You can't just hunker down in your house and pull off making disciples. You have to leave the comfort of your life and just your own personal security. Second, though, we live as salt and light. We're to be salt of the earth, light of the world. Jesus said, I love this passage, we share it often, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And these are analogies. They seem somewhat strange. But Jesus is painting a picture of what He wants for our lives. Salt adds flavor. It creates thirst. So our lives are to add really an element of, in a sense, we're sprinkling salt in our relationships. When we speak and how we act should add a distinct flavor that is countercultural. It just stands out. People interact with us, whoa, that was different. And so it attracts people in a sense. It gets people curious. They want more of that. It's not irrelevant, but it 
people see a difference in the lives of people who are actually salty in their world. Now, I think it's possible to be too salty. You can oversalt food, can't you? I hate when I do that. I hate when people play that stupid joke, you know, and they ruin my meal. Oh, that was really funny. And you start scraping the salt off, and you're like, okay, I got a salt steak, you know, and you bite into it, and all you get is the salt. So it's possible to do that with the Christian life, too, where you're just too salty, and you're annoying to the world around you. God's dropped me in a pool, He said, so I'm just going to be annoying to everyone, and I'm going to just pound people with it. I'm not going to care about what they say, how they, how they hear it. I'm just going to be faithful to be salty. <laughs> and, but it's almost, it's like too salty. It's like, ugh. And so, there's a balance to this, but you need to get out of the salt shaker, they say. Also, light. Light illuminates and allows us to see things as they really are. So, Jesus is saying a disciple should be like a lamp that people are drawn to. They want to know more. When a light is in the darkness, people gather around so they can see. And that's the life that God wants us to live. When we live as disciples, like He's describing, people see the difference that Christ makes in our life. This should clarify and draw others to want to know Him. Making disciples also has implications on church life. Like, why do we organize? Why do we prioritize the things we do at church as a whole church, as an organization? Why do we have big events? Why do we gather for groups? It's because we want to, you know, draw people to Jesus. We want to make more disciples. And so, this determines, this focus, this blueprint of making disciples determines how we're going to spend money as a church, how we're going to use resources. God continues to faithfully provide for our church in ways that we, you know, are dependent, we're always dependent upon Him. But as He provides resources or as people commit their time and energy, we want people to build around this focus of making disciples and not just, hey, let's make church about social or let's make church about just fun. This, this is the focus. This is what God says. Build on this priority. And so at OCC, we want to show you one, what it means to be a disciple. So Sunday mornings primarily is focused on how do I live out the Christian life? How do I understand what God has to say so that I can apply it to my life? But then two, we want it to make sense so that as you invite guests who are in the process of searching these things out, they can connect with the Lord Jesus here. They can become disciples. We don't want that just to happen here. I love hearing stories of people who are investing in others outside the church. And they lead people to Christ outside the church. doesn't need to happen here. It can. It doesn't have to. I'd like to invite five guys back up here. And, uh, and the ushers, if you'd like to prepare for uh, receiving this morning's tithes and offerings. And if you would all take out your connection card and finish filling this out, if you would. We're going to drop this in the offering baskets as they come around. Um, there's some next steps that I'm suggesting on your, next, on your connection card. If you flip it to the back, you'll see three of them. Memorize Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Or pray that God would use me to make a disciple. And this would be my hope, that everybody in the room would check this second box and, and, and begin on this. Just get focused on... Just begin praying. God, would you use me to make a disciple? I've never done that with my life. I've never helped a person cross over from death to life. The thing I've experienced, I want others to experience that as well. Just... I'm praying that everybody in the course of your life would have the opportunity to, at the very least, help one other person come to know Jesus Christ. If you have one person you've led to Christ, you know, 
continue that process. Be like what this picture shows where you just continue to see, wow, my life is about disciple making. This is what it's all about. The third is get in a small group for the fall. This is where so much growth happens is when you begin connecting with other people. I'd encourage you to, to take advantage of the group opportunity that we have for signing up. And when the ushers come by, you just drop this card in the offering basket as it comes through. Um, before we receive this morning's offering, um, Scott had mentioned that we have this event coming up. And the one thing about the event is it's going to cost some money to feed all those people that show up to a movie night and a neighborhood party. And so when we do these events, it usually costs thousands of dollars to do these things. And we try to do them strategically so you'll invite people, but then also we just invite the community. And sometimes we have huge crowds, like for our helicopter egg drop that we did. Huge crowd came out for that. Um, these kinds of things, potential for lots of people, but it takes resources to do that. And so I, I wanted to ask everyone to just begin praying over the next few weeks as we're leading up to this September 22nd. Just pray and ask God. And especially if you're a regular giver, if you give faithfully here, would you pray about maybe giving additionally to help us cover the cost of this event because of what we already are anticipating that it may draw. And the long-term fruit of all these efforts is we want to make more disciples. That's the point behind doing everything. And so but I'm just going to ask that you pray about that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we just respond. Father, thank you.